0: I think I spotted one in
1: the distance, hold on, hold on,
0: hold on, hold on,
1: okay. let's see, I think it's a, I don't know, I don't know, do you think? We don't know, we don't know. Do you have any word for Makoku? We need word for Makoku. Can I have the dot? I paid for this tour, can I have the dot? I'm doing research
2: here.
0: Here we go. Collection. Alright, go
1: I think I might have got him. I'm not sure. Okay. Where is he? I don't know where he is. I give up. Hello there. Right now, inside of my mind, I'm in the heart of the Congo. Uganda country. Having the Acholi tribe help me hunt down gorillas that may or may not be infected with the Ebola virus. That's right. Over the last 40 years there's been intermittent outbreaks and now, after getting the latest word from Akoku, the hospital down the road, we think that some Ebola-infected gorillas may have actually been causing another outbreak. I've been using teletamine and zelazepin darts to hunt down these gorillas that may or may not be carrying the Ebola virus with them if we can find that they even have antibodies it may mean that these Ebola carrying viruses are reservoir host for the Ebola virus one of many many zoonotic based viruses that threaten human nature It's February 1996 and of course I wasn't there but a man was his man name was David Quammen he is author of spillover a prophetic book written in 2012 Describing in-depth the history of outbreaks, viruses, and pandemics Like the one we're now experiencing Welcome to the very first official Facebook Live Wicked Lamb Podcast Broadcast transmission Today, in a few moments, we will be talking with Philadelphia Hospital vaccinologist Dr. Paul Olfitt And uh, before that, we're going to jump right in We're going to jump right into the history of of Outbreaks and viruses And what we are looking at And again, everything I'm going to be telling you Even though I'm going to be very dramatic And I'm going to be very charismatic I'm going to keep this funny Everything I'm about to tell you in the next couple of minutes Leading up to Dr. Paul offering to the Philadelphia Hospital Coining Is all real And at the end of this program At the end of the Facebook Live At the end of the podcast I will give you the resources And part of the bibliography That brought forth all the facts I'm spewing. So anyway It's been a fact that for the last 50, 60 years, even longer, that 58% of the 1,400 pathogens plaguing the human body all have a zoonotic foundation. That means 70% of the re-emerging infectious diseases that are plaguing the world across the globe all come from an animal origin, and this means zoonotic. Zoonosis is a really big word we're going to be using a lot of, and this comes straight from David Cramon's spillover book. Uh, zoonosis is when an animal-based virus jumps the evolutionary chain and that virus becomes human. And the fact is that zoonotic diseases for the last 50 years include everything from uh, the simian bird flu, SARS, Ebola, AIDS, HIV-2, the synabe, the Hendra virus, the avian flu, the west nile virus, amoeba are all exactly zoonotic diseases. And where do these zoonotic diseases come from? Meaning they are part of zoonosis in which a virus starts off with an animal or a species other than human and it jumps the evolutionary train. So where do these zoonotic diseases come from? They come from infection by six different ways. They come from pathogens, viruses, bacteria, fungi, protists that are like amoeba. Like amoeba, like like SpongeBob, that son of a bitch, his his partner, that amoeba, son of a bitch that lives with SpongeBob, he is one of the six carriers of pathogens of zoonotic origin. And of course, then we have prions and worms, and so we have those six ways that human beings can get something like the coronavirus. And we're going to have Dr. Paul offer again. In a couple minutes, he's going to verify everything I'm saying, but I'm going off of basically uh, 10 years of my research into viruses and uh, vaccines as a screenwriter for horror movies. And again, that's where I'm just giving everyone a little bit of foundation here for when we jump into the discussion with Dr. Paul Offit that uh, people aren't confused because we're going to be dropping terms like zoonosis and zoonotic and uh, pandemics and uh, viruses, and so I'm just giving everyone here a bunch of background and foundation, so when we jump into the real technical jargon, you know what we're talking about. Guess what, people? Welcome to home learning, WikiLam style. That's right, I'm your teacher. But I jest, I jest, but seriously. So, what are we talking about when we talk about zoonotic diseases, zoonotic viruses? Something like the coronavirus, which is what we all believe right now, and we will get verification by Paul, but we believe the coronavirus is a zoonotic-based disease. Basically, these diseases have been uh, occurring for years and years. And again, I did an introduction where I talked about the Ebola virus. The Ebola virus is one of many these zoonotic-type diseases that, again, began in 1976, and the first fallout zones of the Ebola occurred 300 miles away from each other. So talk about how things can spread that fast. This is 300 miles away, and that first outbreak killed, you know, uh, lots and lots and lots of people. I don't have all the exact uh, numbers right here, but uh, we do know that, and... You know, these are all coming in the history of viruses and and, and outbreaks that started way back with the Spanish influenza in 1917, 1918, which uh, may have actually had origins here in the Midwest as well as overseas. And uh, that was a decimating uh, epidemic and pandemic that actually killed my grandmother's sister, my grandmother's sister died, Uh, she was in her 20s, she was actually a healthcare worker, and because we didn't even have half the infrastructure we have today, I know, that sounds pretty horrible, but uh, because of that, the original Aunt Babe Angelina Lombardi died of the Spanish Influenza, and uh, many years later, during the polio outbreak, which peaked in 1952, after killing over 3,000 people, uh, my mother Barbara and uh, Reichard uh, actually got polio, and... um, she survived it. And again, polio came about, peaked in 1952, paralyzed over 21,000 people, and because of Hillary Koprowski and Jonas Salk and Albert Sabin, we got a vaccine for the poliovirus. And of course... Of course, there were problems at first, you know, the the, the Salk vaccine wasn't perfect, the Sabin vaccine wasn't perfect, the way they were manufactured, there was some kind of big snafus at the time that a lot of people got infected. But again, that that was really the modern birth of, of vaccines goes back to Spanish influenza and specifically the polio vaccine. And so just a little bit of backstory for the history of vaccines and why we need them and why they're real, as you can all now know about. And now you're dying for them because people are literally dying. So anyway, we've got these zoonotic diseases, and they come from an animal-based life form. And uh, these things have been around so long... And the origins of the coronavirus have been around underneath our very eyes and nose because epidemiologists and vaccinologists and biologists, they are all, they've been studying these viruses for years and years and years. And we had the research there. We had the doctors. We had brave souls across the planet doing the work. And again, this work was not listened to. And that's why we are where we are. So something that's interesting and I'm going to talk about more with Dr. Paul Offord when we get him on the phone. Is that uh, there's a virus that's really interesting? We talk about in David Quain's spillover book, uh, which I urge everyone to read. Uh, um, the Hendra virus is very, very interesting, and it's something I think we should all learn about and know about because it gives us a lot of insight to why are we being quarantined right now? Why are we so terrified? Why is every state having this emergency? I think when you look at the Hendra virus specifically, you have kind of a uh, a core foundation for why we should be terrified and alarmed. So the Hendra virus first appears in September 1994 in Brisbane, and it kills a couple of show horses and race horses. It only gets one person killed, and another farmhand goes home and he gets sick from it. And uh, at first, again, they think that this is a specific virus that is only affecting horses in Australia. And so when they finally come to um, classify the Hendra virus, they call it the uh, the equine morbillivirus, or EMV. It becomes known as uh, EMV or equine morbovirus in 1994, before they had all the facts. And so what happens over the next year or so, very strange, is that there's some incidents start to happen with this EMV virus at the time. And one regards a man that suddenly starts to have fever, seizures, and this man starts to have fever, seizures, and he's getting all messed up, and they think maybe it's his spinal meningitis is coming back, that he is, is, is another uh, virus and something that comes as a, as a very deadly pathogen. Uh, anyway, so he thinks it's the spinal meningitis being uh, revived, so to speak, and uh, that's all he thinks it is. And um, he then goes into the hospital, and he eventually gets fever, and he dies of encephalitis, which is brain inflammation, which, again, is something I've been researching for my zombies, Chris, because I think if there's zombies were to come about, please, let them not come about because this is boring. Um, uh, I think encephalitis, which would be inflammation of the brain, maybe it could affect the cortex of the nervous system that a dead corpse might be reanimated in some kind of way. So that's always been a part of my uh, horoscope research is that maybe the encephalitis would make a zombie. But that has nothing to do with this. Anyway, this poor farmer in September 1995 dies of the equine virus, and uh, it's then that they discover that they've only been partly right about what is this horse virus killing uh, horses in Australia. The horse dies. My horse died from the henge virus. Uh, anyway, uh, they find out that this farmer actually had the henge virus for a year. Hendra virus was dormant in this guy's body for over a year because he had been one of the trainers taking care of one of the horses that had that green virus. So, the way zoonotic uh, species affecting viruses and pathogens work, you know, it jumped the chain to kill this farmer, but it took over a year for it to... um, uh, go through uh, the, the species and, and get into uh, human beings and it's not until 1996 that researchers in Australia are studying the Hanger virus, and they're saying well, where does this come from which is what we're going to find out from Paul Offit about the coronavirus where did it come from did it really come from the Wulan meat market where did this zoonotic based virus that we're all being afflicted by come from um, and so they start to research, well, it, it, the horses were killed and they died slowly, but it, how did it, did it start in horses? And so they start to research the Hendra virus, and they call them in Australia, these flying foxes, these damn flying foxes, and flying foxes in Australia are known as bats. So, they find out, by researching the Hendra virus, That the three types of bats in Australia The grey hooded, the spectacle and the little red bat All have the virus. That the virus is actually starting in bats And when they catch a pregnant bat And they're able to examine It's uh, uterine flow They find out that the bat In Australia Is the creator of the virus. And uh, after that Big thing happens in Australia that we never heard about in 95, 96, is that people start thinking, oh, they're going to kill the bats. Oh, you can't kill more bats. I love my bat. And then the farmers are like, oh, I hate bats. I'm going to kill all the bats. So there's this secret bat war we didn't know about that went on between 96 and 97 where people were finding out that bats were causing Hendra virus and people were protecting bats. And they were trying to save them while other farmers were like trying to kill them left and right. And so what happens is the research teams come in and they research and there's 128 people that they test and they find out that those that are even bitten by the bats that contain the Hendra virus don't have any signs of the Hendra virus. They don't have antibodies. And antibodies, again, are things that are created by your body to start fighting a virus once it comes in contact. But it finds out that there's 128 people that have come in contact with these bats that have the Hengivirus, and these people are not showing symptoms. They don't even have antibodies. So how can this be? How did the farmer in 1995 drop dead suddenly because he had had the Hengivirus body uh, type uh, for a year? How did that happen? If people come in contact with these bats aren't getting the Hengivirus, but the guy who takes care of a horse who had it then dies a year later, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. And so what they find out, and which is what, I think we're going to learn more about from Dr. Paul it is the way a virus works. And now it's time for a little show and tell. So, the way viruses work is you have something called a reservoir host. And in the Hendra virus, the reservoir host was the bat. The bat carried the res- the, the virus for years on edge. The bat carried the hendra virus in this 1994 to 1996 horse virus outbreak, the bat carried the hendra virus as the reservoir host, and what it needed, it needed an amplifier. It needed the horse species, it needed the horse to incubate and cook the hendra virus that it was carrying to then turn into something that would kill human beings. So that's the way Hendravirus virus works, and this is actually how many of these zoonotic-based or animal-originating viruses that we're facing, and the coronavirus is one of them. This is how it works. We got the reservoir—where the hell am I—I I can't see. This is crazy. We got the reservoir host is the bat. The reservoir host has to use an amplifier host, which is the horse, and from there, it's able to then affect the human beings, And that's how the hendrovirus worked, and that is probably, in a nutshell, what is really happening in terms of the origins of coronavirus. But we're going to find that out in a couple minutes when Paul Ovid, CDC consultant and worker for the Philadelphia Children's Hospital, writer of several books on vaccines and uh, autism, and uh, he created a retrovirus. Um, He's going to be calling in. And so that's just a little bit of a background. So when we get into the thick of things with him, we know what we're talking about, you know. So we understand what zoonotic means, and we understand what reservoir hosts are. Again, the reservoir host was a bat, gave it to the horse to amplify. The horse then cranked it up and passed on the Hendra virus to human beings. And so what we're hearing so far is that this coronavirus we're facing is very similar to the Hendra virus and Ebola and HIV-1 and HIV-2. It's very similar that it has a zoonotic or animal-originating foundation before it uses something like an amplifier host to then give it to human beings. And so that's really what we're looking at right now. You know, We're looking at a zoonotic-based super virus that is uh, affecting the world and shutting down the whole country as we know it. Horsepower. Yes, you're right, Jess. Jess Preckle just said horsepower. You're right. So again, we're talking about the Hinger virus. That is something pertains to spillover. And again, we were mentioning that specifically as how viruses do work like the coronavirus. And again, we're going to have Dr. Paul off and hopefully validate everything, all this, but I'm pretty sure from reading this and reading about 25 other books over last year, uh, this is basically, this is the science we're looking at because it's the same science for Ebola. It's the same science for SARS, the avian swine flu. Uh, it's across the board. These viruses all work the same. And so people that say, oh, this is just, where's it going? It's a hoax and blah. No, the fact is that for the last 40 years, these viruses have been getting faster, a little stronger, like Daft Punk sings. They're getting more and more powerful by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year. And the CDC has been aware of this. If you read any of these books, which I'm going to mention at the end of this, you know, the CDC, the global health community has been aware of these viruses. Been, I mean, we were looking at a book that I read today. I mean, this is just mind-blowing that, you know, uh, this is back in um, 2004, 2004, The Great Influenza by John M. Berry talks about the coronavirus. He talks about coronaviruses in 2004 and how the influenza was just one part of the Big Bang for these things. And in uh, 2004, he was already talking about how coronavirus was going to keep evolving. And that's the truth. These zoonotic-based viruses are evolving. They're all interlocked, and they all bounce off each other. And we had the swine flu before, and we had this for SARS before that. And again, it just keeps building and building, and that's how it's going. And the reasons for this are a mixture of deforestation, clearing the forest, ecological damaging by human beings, the building of highways, suburban sprawl, tourism. And what's happening is, whether you're going to the Congo, you're going to Africa, you're going to South America, you're going to all these beautiful indigenous rainforest places, is that when you get to them, they've got something that's called the virus spear. And this is like a mall. It's like a shopping mall for viruses. They make a... Oh, 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 and they start going around the virus spear. Like, oh, there's my protist friend, and there's my uh, tarantula friend, and there's my bird. Oh, 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 oh. So all the viruses in the virus sphere, whether it's rainforest or Africa, they got their friends. They got the prions, they got the meepas, they got the honeydew woodpecker, they've got the raccoon, they've got the trancha. And they are living in this symbolic relationship where they're affecting certain animals in their virus sphere shopping mall, so to speak. And everything's fine, because these viruses, these zoonotic viruses that we don't even know about, which are part of a big picture of even cures for cancer and what have you that are contained in these rainforests, these viruses are okay there. But what happens is, people come in and they start destroying the rainforests, and out of state, out of country uh, Global contractors And whatever have you the, the human impact is then Spreads these contained viruses That are unknown, or not even affecting They spread them From a certain prion or amoeba A woodpecker, or trance or a snake, a snail uh, You know, whatever, a uh, uh, jaguar And that's how these viruses Are getting spread, and that's exactly what happened With Zika, the Zika was very contained And again, tourism and human interaction And the effects of uh, destruction of ecology they spread these things and these things once they get out of the little virus spear shopping mall they're like oh what's this? Yeah, I'm going to jump onto a human being and go to Florida oh we're going to Disney World I've never been to Disney World I've just been in the Congo my whole life so this is really how it happens and people want to say you're hippie whatever it's not these are facts people these are facts and again you know you want to read those facts and most of what I'm saying are coming from Spillover by David Quammen this is the book that every human being should be reading right now, today, in the United States, because it's going to let you know where's this coming from and why are people saying what they're saying? To do, Why the governments are reacting the way are? Why are we be giving these uh, these orders to do these things? It's all because of the science that we do know, and we're going to find more about from um, Dr. Paul Offit, head of the Children's Hospital. So, um, any questions coming up? Um, <laughs> Anybody have any questions? Because uh, we're gonna get ready when Dr. Paul Orfitt is gonna um, get on the phone. So anybody has any questions, they want to ask him. Uh, you know, start start hitting me up, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll fire him off at him, and uh, we'll get some facts. We'll get some hardcore facts from him uh, without a spin, without any kind of incentive, without any political, uh, you know. Perception, And there's going to be nothing poisoned by politics or, or stock market or anything. It's going to be hardcore facts from a guy that's been in the field of vaccines for over 25 years. And uh, that's why we're doing this show. We're doing it so we could have some kind of... Uh, Insight, some real hardcore fact insight from a guy who knows what he's talking about And uh, doesn't have any, any kind of a goal in it Other than to just help the human race And help us all through this very crazy time And, uh, you know, you go back into the history of all this stuff why, why are we here, you know? I mean, you tell me, I think you know the reason I mean, there's been a lot of uh, miscommunication, misinformation and uh, there's a great quote from a book called Factfulness by Hans Rosling that goes Memory and insufficient regulation has created automatic mistrust and fear, which blocks the ability to hear data driven arguments. And I think that's been happening for the last 20 years or so is that data driven arguments and science are being refuted, ignored and condemned, especially by this current administration. And we could go on and on about that. But the, the, you know, the point of this show right now is just to find out some real facts some scientific facts that we probably should have learned yesterday and, uh, it out, you know, what to do. So that's all I know. Um, I don't have anything else planned right now. I'm waiting for the phone call. I'm not going to play the banjo. I'm not going to, uh, do A dance, um, uh, unless again I get requests, uh, but we are waiting for Dr. Paul Olfit to call us and uh, hopefully, yeah. So I don't know, but there's no questions so far. What's up with Zika these days? Oh, good question, Jess Preckle from uh Schenectady. Um, what is up with the Zika these days, you know? Uh, again, it's globe globetrotting. That's all we know is that it was once contained. It was actually around for decades. Uh, we didn't even know about Zika in the States, but Zika was actually known about for decades. And uh, again, because of the effects of tourism and uh, ecological damage and deforestation and sprawl, Zika hopped out and got a free ride to Florida in 2017. And again, Dr. Paul Offit will tell us more about this. Uh, getting so many weird texts here. Uh, people don't have Facebook. Okay, I don't know how you don't have Facebook in this. That's, that's why we're all the apart. People don't have Facebook. Um, so, yeah, but Zika has been globe-hopping, but it's been around for decades. And again, another interesting thing is another zoonotic disease that we all know about is AIDS. And I haven't really gotten to that part of this book yet, but AIDS it did not start... You know, there's all these conspiracies about AIDS. About it came out of Fort Dix. It came out of the government. And maybe some are true. Maybe not. Maybe got misesthesized or, or evolved that way. But the fact is, AIDS started in a jungle near Sangha in Southeast Cameroon about a hundred years ago. So uh, that's the fact. And the AIDS was around for a long, long time. But again, it needed this zoonotic uh, incubation period to um, jump the train. Uh oh, we got Rob Massey calling. Okay, we got our first call. Rob Massey, you're live on the Facebook Live coronavirus call-in show. Wait, I'm going to call you right back. He's got a call in. i going to right back. Okay. <laughs> <High five. laughs> that was crazy. Unexpected call-in to the call-in show. A call-in that didn't last long. Send's address has been trying to connect for 20... Brooke Heron, over in uh, Florida Park, Michigan, is telling us she's trying to connect for 20 minutes. I, I just... Don't know what's going on. What do you mean, my address? I don't. I don't have an address. It's a Facebook Live. It's an address live. Don't know. Not sending an envelope. Not mailing me. Uh, not sending me the coronavirus. You don't need my address. Damned. Um, so here we are. I think this is him. Hello. Hello. Yeah, hi, Elliot. Hi, Dr. Paul Offit. Yeah, Paul Offit. Yeah, Offit, sorry, great. I'm sorry, I'm horrible that's okay. that's
3: okay, make me Irish, that's <laughs> right.
1: I'm sorry, sorry. How are you? Welcome, thank you for calling. Sure, my pleasure. Uh, how are you doing today? I, I guess you said you're very busy with lots of uh, interviews.
3: Yeah, I did CNN, a little thing on CNN this morning. Oh and, my and God. I interviews ever since,
1: yeah. Wow, I'm sorry, I know you're probably exhausted, so we will try to make this quick um
3: that's
1: all right take take your time that's i'm good don't worry okay great um so um i guess again i've been mentioning to everyone uh watching me on facebook and and at home uh that again i talked to you last year about uh the state of vaccines the anti-vax movement its dangerous effect on vaccines and we talked a lot about how this moment could be coming and uh you know we were kind of talking about preparation and all the research uh that was going into study things like this so um First off is, um, I've been talking about zoonotic-based viruses. So uh, can we confirm that this is a zoonotic-based virus, so to speak, the coronavirus?
3: Absolutely. It's been sequenced. It's
1: 96% bat coronavirus. It's bat coronavirus. Wow. So that's official. Is that the official title, the bat coronavirus?
3: Well, no. I mean, it, we know that it's just called COVID nineteen or novel coronavirus,
1: but it is it is it is a bat virus that has now entered the human population. Wow. Okay. And so, again, I've been reading from Spillover by David Quammen and talking about that in the last half hour. So, is this coronavirus anything similar to the Hendra virus that plagued Australia in the nineties? Is it is it kind of the similar, you know, incubation period? Is, is that what happened? And is it anywhere similar to that? That you know, in any ways.
3: I think what it's similar to is the other two previous novel coronaviruses. Well, let me take a step back. there, okay. there was we know, We've know we known since the early 60s that humans are infected with human coronavirus. I would say that, that in our hospital, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, every year about 15 to 20 percent of the children who come into our hospital with respiratory symptoms um, have – coronavirus are infected with coronavirus. Those are human coronaviruses. Over the last few years there have been three novel coronaviruses. By novel I mean no one's ever seen them before, therefore they have the capacity to cause a worldwide epidemic or pandemic. The first was SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, which caused eight thousand cases and eight hundred deaths, so a mortality rate of ten percent. The second was MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, which had a, about 2,500 cases, 1,000 deaths, so around a 35% uh, mortality rate. And this is now the third novel coronavirus. The difference between this one and those two is this one is much more contagious
1: than those first two. Um, so this is worse. This is, again, per, again spillover. This is an evolved uh, coronavirus, evolved zoonotic uh, disease, that it's worse than what we've seen before.
3: Sure. I mean, the first one caused about 800 deaths. The second one caused about 1,500 or 1,000 deaths.
1: This one's already caused worldwide more than, I think, 15,000 deaths. So what's the origin? Like, with the hendry virus, we found out that the reservoir host of the bat then passed it to the amplifier host of the horse to basically turn it into the hendry virus that could kill and infect humans. How did this coronavirus start? What, What was its reservoir host or its origin? So
3: its origin was bat. It's a great one. What, what is the rest our host is either civets or pangolins, neither of which I pretty much ever heard of until I sort of started reading about the origins of this virus. But wow. um, that looks like that was the intermediate host that then was the transport to to, uh, to us. But, you know, since, uh, Chinese have a taste for bats. I mean, they, they <laughs> eat fried bats. They drink
1: bat soup. They drink bad tea. So it's not unusual that this virus would have started there. Wow. So, what are civets, and are these animals? Are they prions? What What are they? No, no, they're they're mammals. They're, they're mammals. Mammals. And what are they, now, we're, now, are, do we know specifically one hundred percent that it did come from China, from the Wuhan market, or where, where do you think right now it originated? Yeah, so the original thinking was it came from that market,
3: that open food market in Wuhan. But then there there was a question about whether there had been other cases that had originated outside of that market. But certainly, I think it's fair to say that it originated in Wuhan and that it then spread across China and now across the world.
1: Okay, and so, well wow, this is yeah, this is amazing to know. And uh, I guess a couple of questions already is um, which is everyone's asking, everyone's wondering because there's so much hysteria and schizophrenic. Uh, you know, proliferation of information is, uh, you know, did we drop the ball on this? And, and that's what I think everyone's feeling. Uh, did we have means and we just, that we were sabotaged by politics? Well, you know, could we have prepared better? Are we prepared? Or what? what's the fallout really looking like in your pers- professional opinion? We dropped the ball in many ways. First of all, in
3: 2005, when the, the, the so-called bird flu virus raised its head, the so-called H5N1 influenza virus, there was put in place by Tony Fauci and others, a pandemic preparedness team, so that when when the next pandemic came, although bird flu never was a pandemic, it was a feared pandemic. But that when the next pandemic came, we would have we came we would have in place manufacturing facilities to make the vaccines we needed, to make the drugs that we needed, to make the masks that we needed, etc. The 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 current administration pretty much dissembled that um, pandemic preparedness program um, when it took office because it just didn't want to spend the money. The second Way we dropped the ball is in January. The, um, the Congress was told by the Intelligence Committee that this was a potential pandemic that could sweep across the country and infect the U.S., and that was ignored. Then we were actually slow to, to uh, stop flights from China into the United States. Um, you know, tr- the President Trump had to be really pushed to do that because he didn't want to upset residency, and so um, that was slow. Then, you know, what didn't we have? We don't didn't have testing, uh, you know, because we just had the CDC be the one that made that test, and their so-called negative controls were positive, so we didn't have testing. So by the time South Korea had done 200,000 tests of its citizens, we'd done fewer than 500. So we didn't really know where this, this, once it started to spread in the community here in the United States, we didn't know where it was, we didn't know how severe it was, and so we, we lacked that information, too. And we didn't have don't have in place masks respirators you know ventilators etc and 95 masks all the things we need to fight this at, at the hospital we were horribly unprepared
0: even though we had a heads up even though we had a system in place that could have that we, we could have done much
3: better so i think the administration has completely dropped the ball on this it's frankly hard
1: to watch yeah it's like a nightmare it's living in a science fiction movie from from hell <laughs> so uh, to speak um, so now these numbers are coming, facts are coming in. Again, I feel like there's, like you said, the dropping of the ball. People are learning things by the hour, and in the infrastructure of New Jersey, the tri-state. So I mean, these idea that that I forget her name in the State Department that everyone's going to get it. Is that really true, or is this just kind of like scare tactics so that we stay in home or? You know, like how fast can this spread, this community based virus that they're saying? Is it really something that everyone's going to get no matter what? And it's just this question of survival rates, or? No. I, don't, I mean,
3: so we have 330 million people in this country. Right now, we have about, I think what's listed is around more than 30,000 cases in a book fewer than 500 deaths. If you assume a mortality rate of 1%, and that's probably high, then the real number is probably 50,000 cases. I think actually the the actual number for mortality rate is probably closer to 0.1%. We'll know that over time, but that's my guess. In which case, it's not—it's not 50,000 cases; it's about 100,000 cases. Because I think the deaths are right. I, I think we know who's died and who hasn't died from this, this particular virus. So, that, the probably the better estimate is it's probably about 500,000 cases. That's still in a population of 330 billion people. So. You know, most people haven't been infected with. And when SARS came, came when, when SARS caused eight thousand cases in the world, there were fewer than ten cases in our country and no deaths. When MERS, you know, emerged, there were fewer than ten cases in our country and no deaths. Even though everybody was susceptible to those viruses, so I think that people are, are wrongly assuming that because everyone is susceptible, therefore everyone will get it. I, I don't think that's going to be true at all. And fr- frankly, I think that. Consider the fact that just seasonal influenza has killed about between twenty, according to the CDC, between twenty five thousand and sixty thousand people in this country. That will dwarf, I think, anything that is done by this virus. Wow,
1: wow, that's a, that's a, that's some sobering news, and in some ways, it's, it gives us a little bit of hope. Um, do, do you think like uh, having uh, Jessica Chandler Fay from uh, Nevada is asking do you think it's wise for us to ease these restrictions after 15 days how long do you think the quarantine should be mandated for health reasons or, or? I think have to have clear markers for when
3: it is that we start to back off of this quarantine. I think, you know, right now we're in a log phase, you know, an exponential growth phase where we went from two deaths at the beginning of March now to almost 500 deaths here a few weeks later. So we're still getting, you know, in in this logarithmic growth phase. I think there will come a time when we start to level off. And when that happens, I think we have to have uh, serious discussions about, you know, when can children go back to school? Um, you know, when can people start to join the workforce? What are the markers that we're looking at? Also, the, it, we have to carefully monitor what's going on in the hospitals because that's the biggest fear. The biggest fear is we're going to overwhelm our healthcare system, which will not only affect those people who are infected with this virus, but everyone else who depends on the healthcare care system, people who are sick with other things. So I think as we... As we learn about that, then we can we should have a plan for how to to then, you know, come back off of where we are in terms of this quarantine. When, when Donald Trump says, you know, we're going to reevaluate things in 50 days, what is he evaluating exactly? I mean, what is the federal policy? That's what we need. We need a federal policy. You know, when people... You know, talked about, you know, Donald Trump as president. You know, imagine what would happen if there ever was a crisis. Well, there's a crisis. And yep. you're seeing what's happening. We just don't have leadership at the federal level to... uh to help us feel better about what's going on because there's two public health crises that are going on here. The first is the crisis caused by the virus which is going to, you know, cause people to suffer and be hospitalized and occasionally die. The second is the fallout from the fact that no one's working. I mean, right now, I think Goldman Sachs estimated that about 2.5 million people will lose their jobs. This week, um, estimates have been that as many as 20% of people, I heard one 30% today, but 20% 20 of people lose their jobs. That's 35 million people. You know, what we know for financial downturns is joblessness leads to homelessness, and homelessness leads to crime and, and domestic abuse and child abuse and drug addiction and, you know, health, health-related problems and
0: depression. So that's, that's the second wave of the public health uh, uh, aspect of
3: this, and that needs to be considered. I, mean, I think we need to understand what we're doing when we tell everybody to stay home because not everybody can stay home. In terms of businesses, businesses are, are closing. I mean, yeah. You can't afford to pay people who aren't working.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I totally agree. And again, I'm reading Jonathan Quick's book. Uh, I think it's called "The End of Epidemics," um, where he talks about exactly what's happening that Wall Street would would crash and uh, it could be three to four trillion dollars uh, affecting the uh, you know the world and so it's i think you're definitely you know right on the ball with <laughs> what you're saying from what i've been reading um so what 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 are the facts i mean it seems like the demographic are elderly and senior citizens and then we have such misinformation that the young kids like, this basically could get everybody right you no one's immune there's no age group it's a respiratory zoonotic disease virus right so it's it's just up to your body and how you react right
3: I think everybody can get I mean, the, the, what is true, though, is we, we generally have a sense of who the target group is. I mean, the, the target group in terms of death are people who are over 70 and also have other so-called comorbidities, like they have diabetes, specifically type 2 diabetes, uh, they have obesity, they have hypertension. Those, those are the groups that are really at risk. I mean, if you look at all those deaths in Italy, I think 99% of those people who died fall into that category. Okay. So this isn't like the 2009 swine flu pandemic in the United States, where... You know, twelve thousand people died, and, and of the twelve thousand people that died, only twenty percent were over sixty-five. That virus, for the most part, infected and killed healthy young people. That's not this virus, so that's who you want to protect. You want to protect grandma and grandpa. That makes it a little easier, I think, in terms of how to uh, figure out how to move forward here.
1: Yeah, so I have a very stubborn seventy-three-year-old uh, Gabardosch Italian father who, along with many many of my friends' parents, are are kind of in denial. So you would definitely say. Stop fooling around. Stay home and stop the visiting, right? Well, yeah. I
3: mean, certainly don't don't go into any sort of crowd. I mean, my mother's ninety-one. Oh wow! She, can she walk around the block? Yes. Go take a walk around the block. Can she have her hairdresser come in? Yes. You can have her. immune or cleaning woman, whatever. Sure. I mean, just make sure that people that walk in the house aren't you know feel fine. And but sure, because you, you know it's it's depressing to isolate yourself like that for days or weeks or months on end. I mean, that is also part of this.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. And so what do you think? I mean, it just seems like there's a kind of count, a counterproductive, contradicting uh, Mandy going. I, I feel like uh, are, aren't supermarkets just as dangerous to go into as malls and museums and movie theaters? I mean, are we kind of risking not to give reason to shut civilization down, but like, are, are, you know, is it safe to go into a supermarket? Or, are, are the gloves working? Are the masks going to protect you?
3: I think if you 're a person who's over seventy and has any of the sort of you know other health problems I just mentioned, I think you probably shouldn 't go into a supermarket you know where there could be thirty forty fifty sixty people. I think that does put you at risk um, so Hopefully you'll have somebody who can shop for you, um, or alternatively, you know, you can do things like order groceries and then have someone bring them to you. So I, I would say that probably is a good idea. I mean, for other people, for otherwise healthy people, sure. I mean, you go food shopping, obviously. But I think, for, I think for if you're older, you should consider protecting yourself at least for the next four, few weeks till we figure out what, how things are moving here.
1: And, and and so what about um you know the the cam or complementary alternate medicine uh, industry we've talked about this before and its influence on anti vaccines um you know ideas like quinine in your tonic water is uh, uh synthesizing zinc to work better are, are these true things are they myths are there are there natural remedies that could help you or no cam <laughs> <laughs> I, mo- my- I just I- bought all that yeah, tonic I- water i think there's no such thing as alternative medicine i think
3: if an alternative that medicine works, it's medicine. And if it doesn't work, it's not an alternative. I mean, it's all—it's not like doctors are, are you know, taking quinine water because they know it works. I, I don't think that's happening. I think if you're going to do those things, just make sure you don't hurt yourself. That, that's all I would say. Don't take anything that's potentially dangerous. But zinc, because, uh, you think that's going to that's going to work? I mean, the, the, what could work, and we'll we'll see, are antiviral medicines like you know remdesivir or favipiravir. I mean, so that that's the, there are some early studies that suggest those antivirals oh, okay. may work. We'll see. I think that when Donald Trump promotes hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin as being he, he, I'm a big fan of this, he says, I really think this is going to be
0: the greatest breakthrough <laughs> in medicine. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that, uh, why don't we wait to see? And what yeah. he's done is, he's created a run on this drug. I mean, now
3: doctors, some doctors are giving this drug, which I think it's wholly irresponsible. Because uh. like When tested, you're going to find out it, it doesn't work. And remember, when people are sick, you know, one of three things can happen. They can do better, they can do worse or they can stay the same you want to make sure you're not giving them something that that, uh, that that where they would have done better stayed the same
0: and made them worse that that's the worst thing you can do in medicine. so wait and see whether this is tested yeah
1: so are are are, are 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 so but vitamins like zinc a e and b uh whatever uh c those are good to take right are there any other natural immunity boosters you'd recommend
3: no, I, I think i think you're you're the, the See, to me, there's nothing natural about taking these 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 supplements. I mean, they're, they're concentrated forms of a product that you would never be presented that way in nature. I mean, the, you you get vitamin C from juices and fruits, et cetera. That's the way you're meant to get them. You're not meant to get them in pill forms. And so what ends up happening is you, you bypass your normal level of satiety. And so, for example, if you take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, you would have to eat like 14 oranges to get that or eat eight cantaloupes to get that. You're not meant to. Eat that much so don't do that don't screw around i mean you, you know you your body has a balance between oxidation and antioxidation. when you take too much in the way of antioxidants you know your body needs oxidation for certain things like killing new cancer cells like killing bacteria wow. so don't don't screw around i mean you should be in as as good as you should eat well be as good a physical shape as you can be in that's the best way to, to strengthen your immune system rather than to go to the gnc center
1: Okay, this is great, great news, great, great to hear these facts. Um, and then again, um, the, you know, the arena we talked about last year with the unvaccinated. I mean, in your own book, Deadly Choices, you know, we talk about how the San Diego unvaccinated spreads measles, and of course, the Vashon Island and Kings County, where we had the first coronavirus cases. Do you? How much of an effect of unvaccinated in this situation is 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 implementing a, a spread of the of the virus? 19? Yeah. I don't think
3: anything. I mean, no, I okay. being vaccinated or not vaccinated isn't going to affect your ability to, okay.
1: to get COVID-19. Um, you know, you could argue that
3: um, that, you know, people who have um, a viral infection like COVID or like influenza are also at risk of having a so-called bacterial superinfection with, for example, um, streptococcus pneumoniae. So, so making sure that you get your strep pneumo vaccine, you know, may, you know, protect you or your child against, uh, you know, a, a bacterial superinfection on top of COVID-19. But I don't think
1: being vaccinated or not is going to affect whether you get COVID-19 or not. And uh, so, what's um, what's like the, the schedule looking like for? I mean, we're hearing rumors of Kaiser Permanente might have a vaccine, but it could take a year. I mean, uh, what what is it we looking at? Are there any vaccines that are close, or what, what's the, the 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 calendar looking like? Right.
3: So, uh, Kaiser. Permanente in Northern California is now doing a trial of Moderna's vaccine. So that's called a so-called mRNA vaccine. mRNA just stands for messenger RNA. So you're injected with that messenger RNA, and then you that, that messenger RNA is translated to a protein the protein is the same protein that sits on the surface of coronavirus you then make an antibody response to that protein which then in theory will prevent uh, coronavirus from binding to cells and causing harm now the, the trial currently uh going on as far as i know at, uh, at uh, in uh in washington state is involves 45 people between 18 and 55 years of age that are divided into three groups of 15 each and they each get uh two two uh there's a different dose that's given to each of those three and it's given as as two shots um, per group so We'll see. I mean, we're just at the early stages of this. You know, we need to know whether this vaccine is going to be safe and effective. I don't have any reason to believe it wouldn't be safe, but you need to, to do large trials to make sure it's safe before you put it into people because, remember, most people who would get this vaccine are probably healthy young people who aren't going to likely die from this virus. So you have to make sure that the vaccine is safe. I mean, maybe I'm a bad sport. You know, I was fortunate enough to be part of a team at Children's Hospital Philadelphia that created the rotavirus vaccine. It took us 26 years to do that. Wow. So when, when Tony Fauci gets out and says I think we can have this in 12 to 18 months I'm thinking that's not fair <laughs> no, just, we'll, we'll, we'll see I, I think 18 months is very optimistic for how long it would take to make this vaccine because you want to make sure it's safe and effective You do, before you give it to people
1: what about um like i was just reading again um just about how you take you take a virus like this you isolate it you study it is there a way if like someone's gotten it like uh, these young babies are being uh, you know just got uh got contracted it like can we use like blood samples to turn into a serum or an antidote like you see in science fiction movies or is that just all lots so so of science i mean you know
0: we used to use antiserum
3: for first of all if there was diphtheria antiserum before there was a diphtheria vaccine. There was tetanus antiserum before there was tetanus vaccine. Um, in polio, you know, we used antiserum in polio in the early trials before we had. You know, a vaccine. Um, I, I don't think that's the best way to go. I, I think the, probably our better route is is antivirals and ultimately a vaccine. I don't. I don't think there's going to be. Well, you know, the the problem with corona with uh, this coronavirus is it's a relatively short incubation period as compared to say Ebola. I mean, Ebola, a monoclonal antibody approach worked. I Meaning you could give somebody who was infected with Ebola a monoclonal and it dramatically made them better. Because, but those are longer sort of course diseases. With the shorter course diseases, I'm not. sure
1: that would work okay interesting um and so uh with the i I know you got to go um but i'm just so i mean we have the Ebola virus what i'm reading is like it's been going on since the 70s 76 in in the Congo and Africa and then it pops up and it disappears like is this kind of virus like is it going to run its course or is it going to stay around is it going to become stronger is it, it, it like once you have it even is it over for you are you good to go like what are those aspects
3: yeah, I think if you're infected with COVID-19, you're probably protected against COVID-19 for years. Probably not decades, but for years. The, the critical question is, and I don't think it mutates. I, I think it'll be like the other two. It won't mutate. The question is, will it be like the other two, and it'll be essentially one-year phenomena? It'll come and go. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's hard to predict because it's a bad coronavirus, so it really is just making its debut in the human population. It's hard to we'll, – we'll see. I mean, influenza comes back every year, but influenza – has, although a bird virus has, you know, has, has been in the human population for, you know, for centuries. So we're, you know, we're, so it's, it's better at, at better adapted at growing in us. We'll, we'll see. I, I do think if you're, if you're infected with this, you're probably protected for years. And the question, whether it comes back or not, that's the $64,000 question. We'll see.
1: <laughs> and if you, is it true that you could have no symptoms at all and you're good, you're you still have it? Is that really true? Yeah, that's, that's true of really any
3: viral infection. I mean, there's okay. always a spectrum of disease that ranges from asymptomatic shedding of virus to, you know, to death. But, um, sure, yeah, I think there clearly there clearly are asymptomatic shedders, and they tend to be younger people. Children tend to be more asymptomatic
1: shedders than adults, or especially older adults who are more likely to get sick. Oh, wow. And, uh... I, then looking forward uh, again Jessica Chamafe in Nevada she's a filmmaker uh, she's asking what, what's the threat for the next couple of years is it going to be every year this happens is it every 5 years 10 years like what, what are, are there new viruses on, on the horizon that you guys are aware of and now maybe we'll finally get an audience to listen up to about or well, this-
3: to come about. And this is obviously the worst one. Whether it comes back again in the years to come, we'll see. Could there be other novel coronaviruses that pop up either in the Middle East or in in, uh, Southeast Asia? It's possible. I I think the trick is to constantly have surveillance. I think where we uh, got hurt here was, you know, China was not forthright in letting letting the world know what was happening. In fact, it had to come down to a whistleblower who said, you know, there's something bad going on here, and he ultimately died of this, yeah. this virus, this, yeah. this uh, young virologist. And you know, it shouldn't come to that. You shouldn't have to have a whistleblower. The World Health Organization should be able to have the, gain the trust of every country out there to, to let us know when something is going on. So I think China failed, failed the, the world in not making it very clear what was
0: happening much earlier
1: yeah absolutely uh so i guess just to wrap up again thank you so much and uh what the final question is from alan squats in california is uh, how long do you think it'll take before we get back to normal it, or you know is it, you think it's going to be a month of this uh, across the country or worse i
3: i think i think once you start to see a it- I mean right now it's just this exponential logarithmic growth upward just like Italy Italy also it does not have a bend in the curve yet. Once you get a bend in the curve, where we're, we're starting to see uh, instead of like a doubling of deaths and a doubling of deaths and a doubling that you start to see it come back more towards the so-called x-axis where you you know you're not, you're off this log phase, um, which is what happened in China, happened in South Korea, happened in Singapore. I think then you'll have a much better idea. If you want a prediction, I think things will start to look better in about three weeks, maybe four weeks. Uh, because I think what you're looking at now in terms of death are, are things that, that were put in place a couple weeks ago or even three weeks ago. And I think we've gotten better now at this social quarantine because we're more scared. And so I think, therefore, that what will happen now in the week or two or three forward is, will be indicative of what we're doing now. So I'm going to guess three or four weeks. You'll start to see a, a bend back in the curve, and then we'll be able to make a better
1: prediction. Okay, and 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 again, uh, and and so the bottom line is too. Also, every country's different, right? There's so many factors regarding the healthcare system in Italy compared to Germany, right? And that's a huge, huge factor in all this, right? And how we're uh, being affected and, and containing it, right? And so you can't judge based on what you're seeing in other parts of the world, right?
3: Exactly. I mean, Italy, you know, why Italy? Why does Italy have more deaths than China? I mean, China has 1.4 billion people. Italy has 60 million people, yet Italy has more deaths. And I think... For a few reasons. One is 25% of Italy's population is over 65 years of age. That's older. I mean, ours is around 16%. They're more than 10 years older than we are on balance. Um, two, it's, it really hasn't been southern Italy as much as northern Italy. It's not really the area around Rome as much as the area around Milan. And that's a, you know, there's a lot of rural uh, towns there. And I think the infrastructure for health care was not great there. They yes.
0: really weren't ready for this in terms of number of intensive care unit beds, whereas we're much more ready for
3: something like that. So... I think that that's why Italy is such an outlier. But everybody keeps pointing to Italy and
0: saying, you know, we're going to be the
3: next Italy. Yeah, yeah. I really don't
1: think that's Neither true. Neither do I, yeah. But I've been there, and I, again, I thought years ago there was definitely some sanitation problems, I thought, and, and uh, keeping things clean in a lot of parts of Italy, and other parts were beautiful and pristine. But yeah, I definitely think there's those factors, definitely. <laughs> different different world. Uh But, uh, well, thank you so much for all your time and your hard work, and uh, everyone appreciates this. So, uh, again, thank you so much for calling in, and uh, keep me posted, and I'll keep you posted, and I hope you get some rest. I'm sure you've had a busy day. Thanks, Elliot. Take care. Thank you so much. You too. And that was Dr. Paul Ophid. I think I just butchered his name again, but that was incredible. incredible interview with Dr. Paul Ovid of the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia who gave us a lot of hardcore facts that were pretty mind-blowing for me. I did not know a lot of that stuff. I guess I could throw out all my vitamins, all the placebo effect. So, um, thanks for everybody, uh, tuning in i think i got to everybody's questions that texted me and i've been sending things in and uh i guess that's it we know a lot more now this could last another three weeks at least we know not to judge ourselves by other countries we have a better uh health system than italy we have a different demographic and population in italy and um you know just keep safe and uh keep yourself active and creative and uh there won't be a vaccine for a while and uh just keep yourself uh keep up your health and keep up your strength and uh that seems to be one part have a good diet keep working out every day and uh eat the right foods during this time and i guess that means no more you know smoking pot and going on benders with your whiskey bottle i think it's best to keep yourself somewhat somewhat uh healthy and sober as horrifying and (laughs) challenging as that is uh so that's it thank you so much everybody that uh called in and um wrote in and has watched and i hope this helped everybody definitely helped me and uh good luck everybody out there have a good night and uh here's to another fun week in quarantine be creative
2: So strange the way things turn Drove the night toward my home The place that I was born By the lakeside As daylight broke I saw the earth The trees had burned down To the
0: ground Don't give up You still have a of anything Don't give up Cause somewhere There's a place Where we belong Rest your head You worry too much It's gonna be alright It's never been easy, don't give up, cause I believe there's a place, there's a place where we belong.